Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. 909 now on News Radio 890, 949 KDXU. I'm Andy Griffin. This is the Andy Griffin Show. Thank you for tuning in today. We get to hear once a month from the Water Czar. His name is Zach the Water Czar. That, you, you could be a superhero, Zach the Water Czar. Uh, I've been called much worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, you know, what's funny, Zach, is water in St. George went from uh, kind of a conversation out there. And, you know, we, we talked about it because we're supposed to. But <laughs> now every day, every day on the street, uh, when I'm talking to people, water, the drought, uh, mm-hmm. the, the ex- explosive growth, uh, it comes up every single day in conversation with me. And that that has me a little bit concerned because obviously people are thinking and are worried about it, Zach. Yeah. And I mean, I think the current drought that we're in it just brings it to people's attention very quickly. Um, you know, this this water year is, has not been a good water year. We're, we were only about 60% of average. Um, and we're also seeing things that we've never seen before. So uh, we have sensors in the soil that measure how much moisture is in the, the soils. And in February, the moistures were the lowest ever recorded. Ever. Ever. Um, now, we've only been keeping that for about the last 25 years, but the last 20 years have been really dry. And so when we start seeing variables in our, our equations for water, when we calculate for water runoff and stuff, and all of a sudden a new variable comes up that's not a good variable, uh, our models have a tough time adjusting for that. And so, yeah, it's... It, I think all that going on, if you talk to a farmer or anybody that does any type of ranching on the Strip or um, up by Enterprise, they'll, they also share how dry it is out there. And so, and then, of course, we've got this um, very rapid growth that's going on. So it just brings it to people's uh, mind. And, and I, I'm glad as a community that we're talking about it. I get a ton of questions about it, too, and I think I'm it's sure. a good thing. Um, I've always been a believer that our climate is cyclic or, or cyclic or however you want to say the word. That yes, we're in a dry spell right now, but in ten years or five years or maybe twenty or whatever, it's going to be plenty wet here. Uh, some people say I'm foolish in saying <laughs> that. Uh, you study it way more than I do, Zach. What would you say about that? Is, is it cyclic? Is it going to come back where we have maybe in a couple of years we have plenty of moisture? So there's no doubt that the and and we we have we can go back and look at the tree rings and there's no doubt there's a huge cycle to how wet it is in the in the southwest United States mm-hmm. and so yeah it, in in ten years it could be wetter no no doubt about that however as water providers we are kind of very pessimistic so we have to kind of <laughs> prepare for the worst like like epidemiologists like yeah. you know, everyone's going to die now and and you're like well we're going to run out of water soon. <laughs> yeah. So, like, how we design our water systems is kind of that worst-case scenario. So, so even our water tanks, we kind of assume that everybody's taking a shower, everybody's sprinkler's coming on, and then we have a major fire breakout that all of a sudden the fire department needs huge amounts of water. And so, in reality, you're saying, well, what's the chances of that scenario happening? It's fairly small, but we can't have a fire where all of a sudden the, you know, the fire hydrants run out of water. And it's the same thing. We can't build a uh, an economy and and grow and then all of a sudden in 10 years tell somebody hey we have to turn off the water to your home and so yeah we we i'm i'm generally an optimistic guy but when it comes to water planning yeah we plan for a drier environment with the hope that it'll be wetter 
All right. Uh, if you want to call and be on the program, by the way, 673-5890, you can text me at 435-467-5842. And you can, I actually had a couple of people email me in advance of this show, knowing that you were coming on the show. Oh, wow. Uh, you can email me, agriffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. Uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, with Zach before we get you guys' comments on uh, <laughs> just just about the drought uh, uh the 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 question I get over and over again is how bad is it? I mean, is it really as bad as we're hearing? Is it, you know, is it going to be so bad that we're going to be you know water rationing or watering on only certain days and and things like that? And and so I'll pass those questions right now along to you, Zach. So right now, you know, twenty plus years ago, thirty years ago, they were planning for pessimistically as it for a drier environment, and so. Right now, we have really good infrastructure in place to deal with a, a, a dry year. So because of that, you know, uh, we, right now, Sand Hall Reservoir is about 90%. Quell, we have about 75%. So this year, even with this dry uh, season, we're in good situation. And so that means I don't expect any rationing of water. I don't expect any, you know, mandates coming through. Now, with that said, though, we always want to encourage people to conserve water and, and use water wisely. But this year, I think we're fine because of the really robust infrastructure and the money that was spent 20-plus years ago to make sure we have a robust infrastructure. So this year, we should be fine. All right. Uh, let me read a couple of questions from this email. I, I thought it was fascinating. You may not have the answers to these, but uh, we'll, we'll just kind of get a general idea. Question one, how much water does the average home use, Zach? Do you know that number or about how much? Yeah, so right now the average home, so right now the state of Utah, when a new home is built, we're required to provide 0.89 acre feet of water to that home. And so to kind of put that in perspective, um, we use acre feet, and that's basically if you have an acre of land and have one foot of water on top of that, we call that an acre foot. It's roughly about the size of a football field. And so right now the state of Utah says a new home in Washington County, St. George area requires the water district to ensure that that home has 0.89. Now there's, there's a lot of safety buffer built into that number that we're required to have. So the actual use varies. Um, but it's usually about 0.75 that a home will actually use. Okay. Now, if, if I have a bigger house, uh, say I have a mansion, there's only five of us or something that live in there, but I, I built me a $3 million house <laughs> on one of these hills here. Uh, does that number change? Oh, absolutely. In fact, we've gone through and those big lots with those big homes, mm-hmm. and, and, and this is measurement. This is just not us doing calculations. They use a lot of water. We have one individual, and I won't mention his name, that's using over 3 million gallons of water per year which is an astronomical amount of water. And so, yeah, we, we have some users, and that's the tough thing is there's a huge variable in there that we have some very, very high water users. But then we have other individuals that use very little water. Mm. And so there's a big variable. So what we do is we, we try to go and find the average and, and what will the average home use? And those were kind of the numbers I gave you. But yeah, you almost need a median and, a, and an average to, to, to get, figure out, kind of get an idea of, of exactly where it's at. Um, the so what would it, why would uh, and I don't want specifics about that mm-hmm. person or that home but why would a house use that much water is it is it grass yeah yes it? Okay. yeah it's it's an individual that has a very very large yard I mean it's over eight we're talking multiple acres wow and, and it's pretty much all in grass wow what the yeah. heck yeah they, so they want their own football fields or? <laughs> so what we do as water providers is we we try to contact these people and encourage them to, to reduce their water use. 
Um, we try to educate them on, hey, you know, would you reduce your water use? Um, and just use good uh, education tools to show them that they can still have a very nice grass area. Now, this is an older lot that I'm, I'm kind of picking on right now. This, right. this home has been here for over 20 years. Uh, but, and, and they're paying their water bill every month. It's, right, it's right, a right. very, very high water bill. And, and I think even if we quadrupled their water bill, they would still pay it. Wow. Because it's, 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 it's the individual clearly has quite a bit of money. Is there, with someone like this, is there talk about, I don't know, some kind of uh, uh, discipline for something? Like, like, could they get it? Eventually, are we going to say, hey, you can't use that much. That's not fair. So in the state of Utah, I'm not aware of any municipality that has placed limits or passed ordinances. Now, the water district, we have no, what I refer to as policing powers. Like, I have no way to go and our board pass like resolutions or ordinances and stuff like right, that. Right. So it'd have to fall to the city. So if a city wanted to come in and pass certain resolutions and, and, and limit things like that, they would have the power to do that. Um, from my understanding, I haven't heard of any municipality in the state of Utah that's done that. It, it, it seems like, it seems like there ought to be a way because uh, money you know, the old saying, money can't buy you love. Money can't really buy you more water if you're short on water. Yeah. And, and, and just so you know, places like in California specifically, the majority of the cities now in California have passed ordinances. Um, even Las Vegas has passed ordinances man, well, saying this is the maximum amount of, of uh, grass uh, that you can have. For, for that specific reason. And so mm-hmm. Utah just hasn't chose to go there. You know, with, with water uh, becoming a more scarce resource in, in the state of Utah, municipalities may choose to go that way or even the, maybe the Utah State Legislature, but right now they haven't. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay, third question from this email, and then I've got a text, and we've got some callers. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, well, actually, the second question was how much water does a district have? We talked about that mm-hmm. a little bit with the reservoirs and stuff. Question three, how many more homes, et cetera, can be built here based on the additional water needed versus the existing water that we have? <laughs> and I know that's the magic number. There, yeah, and, yeah. And, and we don't know the answer to that, but maybe if you can give us an idea. So that's a really tough question because everybody wants to know when are we going to run out of water? Yeah. And, and this is why it's tricky because there's variables in there that I have no control over. Uh, one of the, the variables that we, we're dealing with is growth. So right now we're looking at growth that's at such a rapid pace. We've never seen that before. Ever. Yeah. Ever. And so if, if we continue this rapid growth period, we're going to get to a point where we're going to hit that limitation faster. Well, if growth slows down... I was going to say, let me stop you for a second. This record growth can't be sustained. It just can't keep going. It's, it's, it's impossible. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. If it slows down... If it, it slows it down, then, then you know, let's say growth really slows down here, then that, that timeline pushes out. The other variable in there is, is how much our citizens consume water. Yeah. I mean, if, if we start going to a strong conservation um, where we start using water in a different capacities then that also pushes that number out. And once again, the water district, uh, we, you know, we have our education and everything with conservations, but it really does fall back to the cities and the city councils to make those determinations on what ordinances they want to pass. So, so if, we, if the cities come in and say, we're going to pass really strong conservation, we're, ju- we're just going to push this thing out, then, then that pushes the number of homes and the dead deadline or when we stop construction here because of water out farther. 
if we do status quo and, and not change anything, uh, we'd get to that day. And let's say we increase our water use. Sometimes that happens in communities where they'll actually start using more water. And so it's just these variables. And so I'm always reluctant to say this is the date because yeah. if I say this is the date, I'll be wrong because right, right. of these. Yeah. And, and those two factors you mentioned and that maybe the third one is maybe it's going to rain more or rain less uh, between now and then, you know, you, yeah. you just never know about how much is going to come down and snow and et, et cetera, et cetera. Now I flew in, I just went to the uh, Texas this weekend. Hmm? It was a gluttonous barbecue trip, but we can talk about, <laughs> we can talk about it later, Zach. But uh, anyway, uh, when we flew back, it was a daytime flight. We flew back and Lake Mead was low. Lake yeah. Powell was so low. And yeah. everybody's like, well, yeah, I've got the Lake Powell project and we can pipe water in, but what if there's not, enough water to pipe in from Lake Powell? Is that a realistic question even? No. In, in fact, the, the EIS documents that w- were prepared and, and that will be coming out again here probably in about a year, we talk extensively about that. And the key thing is Utah is usually using only about 50% of its allocation. And so with the Lake Powell plan, it will be about five more, 5% more allocation of Utah's uh, allotment. And so Utah is in a really good position to have a lot of flexibility in that area. Now, other states, they've, they've used up to their allocation, if not over their allocations. Hmm. And so just because another state is, has been either using over their allocation or u- using 100%, the question is, is, should Utah be punished for somebody else's actions? Our state legislature came in and says, no, we, we think it's prudent that we use Utah's water right, and it is a right that Utah has to use this water, and it is available to us. And that's why we come back with the Lake Powell Pipeline. You know, it's there. The other thing that people need to understand with, with, with our environment here, if the, if the Colorado River truly dries up, like it dries up, the Virgin River will be drying up a lot faster. We see much more variability on the Virgin River compared to the, the Colorado River. The other nice thing, thing about the Colorado River is three years ago, we had a really good wet year. Lake Powell shot up 50 feet. Um, here in our county, we do not have ability to capture that much water and hold it over for multiple years where Lake Powell does. And, and that infrastructure was built. And so we're, we're tapping into that, that infrastructure that's already existing to help remove that variability from a really wet year to a really dry year. What if a federal judge comes in and says, well, we know you have your rights, but these people need water, and, and they try to change that or take that away? Is that a possibility? It would be very difficult for a federal—I mean, hey, federal judges are federal judges, and right. sometimes they make decisions I agree with, and sometimes I, I disagree with that. Before we start building that um, and actually putting pipes in the ground, I'm sure a federal judge will have to make that ruling. The thing with that is we actually have a compact. So all the basin states signed an agreement and Congress ratified that agreement that said these are the the agreements. So for a federal judge to do that, it couldn't just be a federal judge. It would have to be the United States Supreme Court because they're the court of original jurisdiction and disputes among states. Um, And that's so it would have to be the Supreme Court coming in and, and saying that, not just some federal judge. Wow, big. That, that'd be big time for sure. All yeah. right. Uh, got some texts, got some phone calls. By the <laughs> way, uh, if you want to call 673-5890, if you want to text 435-467-5842, uh, those are the two numbers you need to remember. It's actually probably really easy to just uh, email me, agriffin at cherrycreekmedia.com. I'll be checking that throughout the show as well. Uh, let's go to this text first. Uh, good morning, Zach and Andy. We know that Tokerville Reservoir is in the five-year plan. What is the plan on the Warner Valley Reservoir? Will it be like the Tokerville Reservoir or bigger like Quail or San Hollow? 
And then I have a second question, but let's answer those first. Sure. So Warner Valley was actually supposed to be built several years ago, but then World War II broke out and they didn't build it. So Warner Valley has been talked about for over 100 years. Wow. Where the water district is, is uh, about, oh, maybe a year and a half ago, we there was two landholders out there. One is Sitla, the state of Utah Trust Lands, and the other one's the BLM. We uh, purchased the land from Sitla, and so now the water district owns that land, and we're in the process of doing a land exchange with the BLM. Uh, there's some critical habitat in the, the, the turtle reserve that the BLM wants to requi- acquire, and there's a private landholder. So the, it's kind of a three-way trade where the, the water district will go buy those private inholdings and then swap that land out basically the same day with the BLM and acquire that land. So we're in the process of doing that. We're in process. The BLM is in the process of preparing that environmental assessment on that. I think with Warner Valley, by the time we go through all those environmental things and stuff like that, we're, we're looking probably, I don't know, 10 years out. With the size, there's been three sizes that have been proposed. One is uh, about equivalent to Quell Reservoir. Uh, the other one is would be similar amount of volume of water as Sand Hall, which is about 50,000, 60,000 acre feet of water. Mm-hmm. There was a preliminary design showing 100,000 acre feet of water, but I don't think that would get built. That's, there's some, that's big. That, that's very big. There's, there's some limitations. Now, it's going to be a very deep reservoir. So even though we might hold the same amount of water as Sand Hollow, it won't have the same surface area because it'll be so deep. It'll be quite a deep reservoir. And so most likely we still would, re- would allow boating on the reservoir, uh, water skiing, stuff like that, because it would be that big of size. But that final determination hasn't been determined. There's some engineering issues that we have to overcome there too that will also determine how big we can make the dam. Big projects. You you, you don't do anything small, Zach. Everything you do is big, man. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because even with Ash Creek Reservoir, oh, someone's actually texting me. They heard me on the radio. <laughs> so, um, I, I go home and... My wife calls me a cheapskate, and my kids do too, because I, I'm like, why are you wasting this small amount of milk in the bottom of the carton? <laughs> but then I go to work, and you know, with Ash Creek Reservoir coming on, that's a $35 million project. And I'm like, yeah, we got to spend $35 million to get this water project. Let's get it built. Let's, let's move ahead. And so, so it's kind of this funny thing. Let me, uh, the, the final follow-up question on this text said, uh, how will the water development work off of the Southern Parkway? So what we're doing out there, I, I believe what they're talking about is how is water going out there, and there's a couple ways. So the water district just built a large regional pipeline from San Hollow Reservoir out to the Warner Valley area. Oh, okay. And right there, it connects to pipes from Washington City and St. George. And we're also building a, it should be done here in the next couple of weeks, a new water treatment facility right next to San Hollow Reservoir to supply water out to that area. The other thing that they're doing out in that area that, that's really great is we're, and when we say we're, it's a combination of the district and the city of St. George, the developments that are going out there, they're putting in what's called purple pipe, where they're, we're going to take sewer water, treat the sewer water, and then irrigate that area out there with sewer, well, we call it reclaimed water, reuse water, where it's sewer water, we treat enough that you can actually start using that for irrigation. And so out there by kind of uh, south of the airport, right by the, the border, they'll be using a lot of that reclaimed water don't drink it, folks, but you can use it for your for your, <laughs> your outdoor stuff. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, we're on with Zach Renstrom, and uh, who's this? Hey, welcome to the show, by the way. You there? Hey, is it, are you guys talking to me? Yes, we are. 
Oh, great. Hey, so the question I have is in regards to the allocations, and you mentioned that uh, the state of Utah uses approximately 50% of its uh, allocation, but you don't talk about when these allocations were ratified and the fact that the allocations account for far more water than is actually in the Colorado River system. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. So what's very unique is is traditional Western water law is first come, first, you know, the first person that using, they have the priority date. When the compact was ratified in 1922, that was actually a big concern among the states. They didn't want the states running out and grabbing it up. So when that compact was signed, it specifically said, we're not going to use that standard anymore. Each state gets their allocation regardless of use. And so even though Utah has not been using that water, we still have the legal right to it. And the other basin states have recognized that Utah has the legal right to that water. Um, even if they're using their allocation, full allocation, they're saying, yeah, we still have that. And so there's a lot of discussion on the river saying the, the original amounts that they estimate for the river to have, uh, the river has not been producing that much water. So the question is, is, okay, who, as we look at taking a shortage or there's going to be less water, who should take the hit? And Utah's position has been, well, we should all share in that allocation, meaning if, if we should all reduce our water use and reduce the amount we're entitled to. So, and this is just an example, if all the basin states agreed to take a 25% reduction in their water use, we still have adequate rights to the Lake Powell pipeline or to, the, to build the Lake Powell pipeline and pump that full time. And so, the, the, and that's why I kind of said coming back is, yeah, certain states have used use this water for all these years. And so the question is, is should Utah now give up their rights because another state is not, well, has been using over their allocations? Our legislature said, no, Utah still has a right to that. We should have our allocation. And even if there is a reduction, Utah still has a lot of buffer in their allocation for any type of reductions of use. Thank you. Now, legally, I think that you're correct. We're standing on firm ground in the state of Utah by saying we're, we are, we have rights to that allocation that we were um, allocated actually a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, this, um, the, the region was far different, as we all know, and um, it seems irresponsible to me from a stewardship standpoint um, to continually just say, well, we're allocated this, this amount that was, you know, a hundred years ago, literally a hundred years ago, this was done. So from a stewardship standpoint, how do we reconcile that with the legal standpoint? So one of the things that we're doing right now is, is we're actively talking to all the basin states about this issue. So not only are we talking to the basin states in regards to the Lake Powell pipeline, um, when the EIS came out the, and everybody was looking at the states, the other states uh, came and said, hey, we have a few questions that need, we would like to look at and kind of talking about what you're saying right there. We, we, when we say we, the state of Utah, and, and I supported this decision to say, listen, we want to work with the other basin states to make sure there's a reliable, sustainable amount of water on the Colorado River, not only for the Lake Powell Pipeline, for, but for all the users. And so we're in the process right now of, of talking to the other basin states, and, and they have been really good to talk about this. And they've all recognized, yes, Utah has this right, and Utah has also been very good stewards on the river. And, and we're having that discussion. So before we get to the point of spending the money on pipes going in the ground, all the other basin states will essentially will have their opportunity to talk about the Lake Powell Pipeline and look at it and give us feedback and comment. 
the second thing that's going on with the river that I think is also a very good thing is the what's called we call them the interim guidelines, and that is literally how they operate the reservoirs, literally how they open up the valves, and and talking about that. That is required to be done in in 2026, and so we're also having the same discussions of talking to the other basin states of how they're using it. And they came up with what's called just recently the what was called the the drought contingency plan for the lower basin states too, which once again it's talking about okay if we have less water on the river how are we going to deal with that situation what who's going to get cut back on that and you know the lower basin states are starting to feel that effect but they even when they went through that whole process realized hey the upper basin states have not caused this shortage they're not using their full allocation they they actually still have buffer in their allocation so that's why the lower basin states can agree to on the drought contingency plan that they would take the the cuts first and still recognize the rights of the upper basin states to develop their water. And so I, I agree with the caller in the sense that, yeah, we shouldn't just go out and say, this is Utah's water right, let's just build it and get it done. I, I think it's very important, and we are doing this, where we're talking to other basin states saying, listen, we need to agree that if Utah builds up this project, that it has water on it. And, and the very exact same thing is happening in New Mexico right now. There's a large pipeline that's being built in the state of New Mexico, the, the states got together and said, yes, there, there is an allocation here for New Mexico. We think New Mexico should use it and it should be built. And Colorado, right after Lake Powell Pipeline gets completed, there's multiple prob- projects in Colorado that they want to look at and we'll have the same discussion there with them. Wow. That's, that's probably a long answer to that oh. question, but it, it's a very good question and it's a question that I think needs to be answered and it's one that we spend a lot of time on. Awesome. All right. We're with Zach Renstrom, Washington County Water Conservancy District. we got people on hold still. I've got some texts to get to. So if you'll hang around a little longer, Zach, sure. I'd love to have you. Yeah. For sure. It's 934. I do have to get our weather break in. I'm only <laughs> three minutes late right now. So uh, we're talking with Zach Renstrom. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Phone lines are hot for you, Zach. You must be a popular guy. <laughs> we were just looking at in, in our booth. I know people don't understand this, but we're in separate booths. And I can see all the lines here. Yeah, so yeah, you're a popular guy. I also have on my on my text line here a bunch of stuff. So uh, let's go to the text first. Uh, follow up on the water development off of the, the southern Utah or the southern Parkway, rather. Uh, it said I understood it was waterfront lakeside type of development. Is the waterways and stream, creek, ponds, lakes, etc. that plan to be uh, be reuse water, or have I been misinformed of that development? So from my understanding, and, and we have not, like I haven't reviewed the engineering drawings and stuff like that. So from my understanding that the ponds that they have out there is going to be a combination of reuse water and it's also going to be groundwater out there. They, they do have some groundwater rights out there. It's not the, it's not a, we, we couldn't take that water and convert it to culinary because it has so much uh, solids, total dissolved solids in it. Um, but they think if they take the reuse water and combine the, the groundwater out there that they can, you know, make those amenities that they're planning to do out there and also that they can apply it to, to their landscaping. The landscaping that they will be using out there, too, is a type of landscaping that is more, that can handle those uh, more brackish waters or higher so- total dissolved solid water. Tougher plants? Tougher plants, hardier okay. that are kind of can, can handle that. Where, you know, if you went out there and planted like strawberries, it would kill it in a second. Yeah. So that's their planted. And when I've gone out there and, and looked at their landscaping, um, I think they've done a pretty good job with that. 
Okay, a lot of folks on hold. Uh, please be patient as we get to your calls. Let's go right now to line three. Hey, you're on with Andy and with Zach Renstrom. How are you? Who's it? Uh-oh, you're distorted. Call me back. I'll get you right on the air, okay? Weird. Sometimes that happens, Zach, and I've not been able to pinpoint. We've we've sicked our engineer on this phone line <laughs> distortion thing, and it's people with smartphones sometimes, people with flip phones sometimes. It's, uh, huh. you know, if they're on hold for 10 seconds, if they're on hold for 30, we just, just well, don't know. And I don't think people will realize when you come walking into the booth, there's these computers and big machines with all these flashing lights. Yeah. So it looks pretty technical in there. Yeah, well, it's it's above my pay grade to know anything about that stuff. But, yeah, it looks... All right, I think this is the same caller. Are you there? Yes. Yeah, go How ahead. How are you doing? We're doing great. Thank you. <clears throat> hey, just a question. Uh, when I built my house uh, 18, 20 years ago, I put a recirculation unit in it. And here, oh, a few months ago, it went out. And it really distressed me to have to run water for 20, 30 seconds for it to get hot in some of the farther spots in the house yeah is it mandatory to have a recirculation unit on new housing i hope not not now and and i agree with you i think those things are awesome and i encourage people to install them in their homes because not only do they save water but they also save energy too and so that is one of the things that we have asked the cities to look at to start requiring those to be installed with homes um they're about $800 on new construction, and, and you can actually retrofit an older home. Um, they're a little yeah. bit more. But, yeah, I, I think they're great. They're, they've been shown, to, to especially in the larger homes, they can save a lot of water. Now, in a small little apartment where you have a hot water heater that's almost right next to a you know the sinks and stuff, it's not as big as savings. But in a, in a normal-sized home on a 10,000-square-foot lot, oh, absolutely, they're, they're awesome, and they're great. And it's nice just to be able to get in the shower and have instant hot water, not yeah. have to sit there and wait. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. And, well, after living in California for like 30 years, it, it was just, it, it just hurt to run <laughs> that water down the drain for yeah. 30 seconds. And then uh, the other question, uh, in, I read the RJ every day from Vegas, and they once in a while talk about desalinization of the, of the coastal waters and pumping it up to Vegas uh, in, in amounts that, that would save them. Um, wouldn't it benefit us to help them with that and then take their allotment maybe of some of the water? Is there anything anything being discussed along those lines? Yeah, so what the concept is, is in Los Angeles and San Diego and all those areas, they are actually using Colorado River water um, that is pumped into those communities. And so they're starting to develop, you know, large plants where they can take the ocean water and, and remove the salts. So the question is, is instead of pumping that water over to those communities, why can't they just take the ocean water, treat it, and, and use it, and then, you know, get their water source that way? I think that's a—it's called augmentation of the river, and I think it's a great thing to do. I think it uh, should happen. Um, Las Vegas is looking at that very thing where they're saying, okay, Los Angeles, we will pay— and operate this desalinization plant right there in Los Angeles and give you the water. So now you don't have to pump it over from the Colorado River, but then we'll get it taken. Then we can take more of our allocation. Well, we can take a portion of your allocation. I think it's a great thing. I think they should definitely do that. It would require, though, a, an amendment to the 1922 uh, compact. So all the basin states would have to agree with it along with Congress. But, but I think it's definitely something that will happen eventually, and, and it's a good thing. 
Seems like to me, Zach. Once we start amending that compact, though, you're that, that's a slippery, sl- oh, slippery yeah. slope. Yeah, because then everybody wants to amend it, and all of a sudden we don't have the water we need. So yeah, and it's it's one of those things of Pandora's boxes. When we crack that mm-hmm. amendment, how should it happen? But but something like that, where you know the state of Nevada saying we need more water out of the Colorado River, and it's literally right next to our city, and we Los Angeles has you know the ocean. And if, if Nevada's willing to pay for that, and, and that water is three to four times more expensive, right? if Nevada's willing to do that, and it's gallon for gallon, I, I think it's wise for Utah to work with them on it. But Let's Put some of that casino money to work. <laughs> but you said it is very expensive, though, to desalinate water. Yeah, and the reason, the main reason is just electricity. Um, it, those plants use an astronomical amount of electricity. So you, you have to generate that somehow. And so that's the environmental footprint for those plants is very, very high when you start looking at it. So, and it's another thing is, you know, right now you, we, we burn coal or something like generate the electricity. So you have to generate the electricity somehow, and then you're burning it in that, those plants. And so Hmm. it's funny because environmental groups don't jump for joy over those plants because there is such a large environmental footprint to them. But yeah, electricity has to come from somewhere and Mm -hmm. it can't all be hydroelectric, even though you'd like (laughs) it to be. Yeah. All right, let's uh, keep it going with the phone lines. Uh, hi, you're on with Zach and Andy. What's up? You there, Seth? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, I'm Seth, that guy. how you doing? Hey, I'm I'm, I'm wonderful. I, I'm that guy that's using a million gallons a day, you know. <laughs> so I can hardly wait to just turn all of my taps on and and just waste all that water. Okay. <laughs> Oh, actually, I you know I, I'm not. Uh, during the during the winter months, I use eleven hundred gallons at our home. That's oh, good. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm completely the opposite. But the concern I have is that we got an inch of water thereabouts yesterday, and my friends at the Weather Channel are telling me twenty five to thirty five mile an hour winds with gusts to fifty. Now, what my what my trees and plants and forests do is they uh, absorb that water, and then the next day uh, they tend to blow it away so that it goes somewhere else. And my subsoil is bone dry. Yep. And it, it, and I I don't seem to remember. I I follow weather carefully and. Uh, um, I, I saw um, a documentary the other day on the Great Basin and, and the Colorado River, and they're claiming that in a thousand years there hasn't been conditions um, like we're experiencing, and the the average where I am is about an inch a month, and we're not getting that inch a month. Um, and it's been a long time, and the increased wind uh, seems to be the, first of all, we're not getting the rain, and second, when it does come, the next day it likes to blow it away. That's a, that's a great question, Seth. Is wind, Zach, a factor in water oh, for, uh, yes. for, for, the, for the soils? Yeah, so definitely wind dries out the soils faster, um, and Seth's absolutely right. And people always ask me, like, we'll, we'll we'll get those quick little thunder bursts here, and or those mainly in the monsoon season. And, and people say, well, isn't that great? And from a water system standpoint, it's good in the sense that people turn off their sprinklers. But from a water savings, it's not very good because that water just hits the ground and runs off. What we really like is those three or four day 
light rain soakers that oh, just yeah. allows that water to go in and seeps and and Seth's absolutely right. If, if all of a sudden you have a rainstorm and then it blows, we see evaporation very quickly. And so it doesn't allow that water to percolate into the ground. So the storm we had uh, Monday and Tuesday this week, uh, good, bad? I mean, obviously oh, good. Oh, they're all good. Some, There's yeah. no, yeah. Did it, we get any snowpack up there on that? We so, did. We? So we got a, you know, a couple inches. Well, you can see on Pine Valley Mountain, they got a little bit of snow up there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this, our, we call them snow tail sites that measure the snow. They, they all showed it. And then up by Kolob Reservoir, even we got a couple inches, and so it was it was a really good storm in the fact that it did come and drop that snow. And the thing we like about snow is it sits on the ground and just slowly percolates into the ground, and that's that's kind of key to it. And so, all right, that's yeah. good. Let's go by. Seth's hey, always got fun questions. He does. Huh? Uh, yeah, you're on with Annie and with Zach. What's up today? You ready? Hello. You, uh, caller, are you there? We got to move on. If I don't hear from you, all right, we'll go to the next one. Hey, you're on with Andy and Zach. How are you? Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, I've been here since 1978, and when I first came down here, it was much, much wetter than it is now. And then the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance wouldn't let them spray. There used to actually be logging trucks on the roads down here, and there were sawmills everywhere. So. Now that the trees are all dead and they've burned off Pine Valley, is there any thought being given to replanting the forest like they do up in Canada so that we could generate, you know, evaporation and transpiration? Yeah, so we've had actually several. So it's a a very good question. It's kind of a complex question because uh, a healthy watershed is very, very crucial. And if you have a good, healthy watershed, like the caller was referring to, we, we do see a better runoff, um, n- not in just the quality, quantity of water, but also the quality. So if we have a nice, healthy watershed, we get a more, uh, a higher quality water, and it comes off better. And so right now, the vast majority of our watersheds are maintained by the federal government, either the BLM or the Forest Service. We always encourage them on how they should respond about what we would like them to do, but they, they never listen to us, um, and so they're doing their own things. And so right now there was, a, uh, he's referring to the, probably that big fire that we had up in Pine Valley Mountain. I know the, the, the Forest Service is looking at doing some things up there. It's all in wilderness areas, so it's limited what they could do, but it is crucial to have a good, healthy watershed, and, and I would like to see more done in that area. And some trees up there, huh? Yeah. Do you have anything else, color? I think he left us. All right. Uh, okay. It's 951 on KDXC. We're with Zach Renstrom from the Washington County Water Conservancy District. Been a very enlightening show today. Yeah. Uh, do you, I got to ask, do you ever get tired of talking about water? Does it get old, get old ever? <laughs> you know, uh, no. Uh, huh? I mean, it, it's, there's a reason why I went into this field is because I, I was very passionate. I mean, when I went and got my bachelor's degree in civil engineering with an emphasis on water resources, it fascinated me. Mm. And, and so I really do enjoy it. And then, you know, of course, most people know I'm, I'm also an attorney. And, and as an attorney, I, I, I focus more on water law and, and, and that. And I, so I find this very fascinating. I, I love the discussions we have. I love the pol- public policy discussions that are going on with it. And, and how should we, you know, we, own, we have a finite resource, uh, and it, like so much of this resource, and how, as a community, should we best use this? I mean, we could, you know, plant certain crops and, and use it up very quickly. Uh, for example, if we planted cotton, which is a very high-demand water use, 
it would use up our water very fastly. Fast. Oh, that's bad. Fastly? Yeah. I like my, it. My mother, who was an English teacher, would have slapped me if, I, <laughs> if she was here. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I, I like this, this discussion. I'm, I, I'm glad to be a part of it, and, and it's, it's a good thing to do. And that's one of the reasons why I love coming on the show. So the thing that I don't like talking about is teenagers, and I've got three of them in my house right now. <laughs> and that is a subject teenagers. I know nothing about. And yeah. I well, I got news for you. I'm on my <laughs> I'm on my fifth one. I've got we've got one left, and I still don't know anything about what works in the mind of a teenager. It, and they're so different. Yeah, one yeah. thing that works so well with this child work is the last thing you should. Oh yeah, sorry, I don't mean to vent on the radio, but it's not logical. You're right. It is not. Logical. And I've got good kids. Just so everybody knows, I <laughs> yeah, love me, my me kids, and I, I adore them, and they're they're doing wonderful. But they're still. The only thing is my mom laughs at me. She's like, well, Zach, you were just as big as idiots they are. So when you were that <laughs> age. true. The old, the phrase, what were you thinking? Does not apply to teenagers because they weren't. <laughs> right. Anyway. All right. I got to sneak a quick break in. We'll finish up the show with Zach here uh, in about a minute. Let me real quick, though, mention Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney is a show sponsor, has been since I've been here. Uh, and his, uh, his job is to be a loan consultant who is an advocate for you. Uh, Joe Shoney online gets a 4.96 out of five stars. That's amazing. 526 reviews. I mean, if you do the math on that, that's like 523 of them or something have to be five-star reviews. So it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, Give Joe a call today. He'll help you with your home loan, maybe a refi, whatever it is you might need, and he'll keep you informed all along the way. Phone number is 435-590-6300. It's Joe Shoney. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. Andy Griffin with you live from uh, Bluff Street, North Bluff Street. Zach Renstrom with me today. I called him the water czar, and then it progressed to the water guy. And then I was thinking, you know, if you were a little younger, you could be the water boy. <laughs> I actually, the, the other general managers in the state of Utah, they're generally older, uh-huh. and they they refer to me as the water boy. You are the water boy. Yeah. Okay. Did you call Adam Sandler or uh, write him a letter and say, hey, Adam, I'm sorry, I got to. I'm violating your yeah. copyrights and trademarks. Yeah. We've got time for a couple more phone calls. Let's go right to the phone lines. Hi, you're on with Andy and with Washington County Water, Washington County Water Conservancy District Czar, uh, <laughs> Zach Renstrom. How are you today? I'm fine. Uh, I can't understand why we just put another $1,500 in our backyards, raise my flower beds to put the right sprinkler system in to irrigate at the right time. We have five neighbors. The sprinklers go out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, boy. Rain, wind, whatever. And it just blows right off the lawn and down the gutter, and these people will not change. We're yeah. tr- we're trying, Zach. I know we've, yeah. we've been running a campaign saying, please, you know, water between, what is it, 8 a.m. and 10 and 8 p.m. or something? You know, you can yeah. say, please, please, please. When we were from California... If you used over your water allotment, it doubled. If you got a citation, the first one was a citation. The second one was $500. The third one was 1000 And you just watched your water. We set our sprinklers at the right time. We used changed every head so it would not, you know, waste water. And we put money into ours, but no one around here seems to want to be... Um, conservative and it bothers us yes yeah so we so our our typical average residential citizen here in washington county is doing a good job with conservation 
Um, we were the first one to meet the governor's goals for water conservation. We've reduced All our right. water use per capita by 30%. All right. But even with this, yeah, there, there's those individuals that, that we, uh, that we, we would wish they would do more. And, and like the, the caller just said, you know, some simple things we can do. The cities all have ordinances that limit when you can ir- oh, sprinkle your lawn. What usually happens with the cities, if the cities get a complaint, they don't go out and necessarily write a ticket, but we just simply try to educate those individuals. When we get a call from like either something like that, we'll contact them and, and just try to educate them. So that's, that's the big thing that we try to do right now is just through education. We have ads out, Facebook ads, um, you know, magazines and, and, and other places. And to back you up a little bit on this, Zach, those public relations campaigns actually do work. They do. They don't work on everybody, obviously. Yeah. But they actually do work. You see, you'll put the campaign out and you'll see significant reduction right after the campaign. They work. Yeah, they do. And and we see that. And, and like your show, Andy, is great because we come and remind people. And, and I run into people and say, hey, I heard you on the Andy Griffin show. And uh, I, sure enough, I went and turned off my sprinklers to reduce my use. And so... We, we try to reach out and educate those people. Now, the question is, is should government come in and use the heavy hand of government now to mandate that and, and to issue fines and uh, go down that, that route? As a water district, we, we don't have any ability to do that, and, and it's not the proper role of the water district to do that. That would fall on the cities and for those city councils to pass those resolutions, and, and they do have the resolutions, but also to enforce those resolutions. All right, down to the last minute. One more call. I think it's Vic. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, go ahead. We're down to our last minute. Okay, uh, last minute. Real quick, uh, you don't have to spend two, $3,000 for an instant water heater. And a uh, gentleman called in earlier about water running down the rain before it gets hot. Home Depot, $200 uh, after installation, probably a water heater recirculating pump. And nice. you just put on the time you want the hot water to recirculate, put it on in the morning showers, put it in the evening showers, and you have instant hot water. I love it. So. Uh, they, they should be pushing those water heater recirculating pumps, uh, and they have little timer, little things you pull out for the timers. Are they easy, uh, to, easy to install? Uh, <laughs> they, they, my, my, my plumber installed mine, but they oh, are okay. easy to install. But whenever I try something, it always goes disastrous. So. <laughs> right, those, those are pretty easy to install, but you have, most of the time you have to have electrical outlet near those pumps, and so you have to get an electrician to install a plug right next to the pump. And that's where the costs are for retrofits. Awesome. We've used it up. Uh, Zach, it's always a pleasure. Love, hey, it's great. Having Thank you. On you. The, show. The, the water boy right <laughs> here, folks. Or the water boy. I like water boy. That's pretty good. Okay. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to the program today. Uh, thanks to Zach for coming on and helping us out and uh, really giving us the lowdown on this drought that we're in. It's not going to last forever, though, folks. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. Talk to you then.